It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. We'll Welcome into the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben B. Baby Barn filling in for the P-Man. Chris Cook on the ones and twos. What's going on? Mississippi, Nasong and Nasinda providing us. Say hey to the people, Mississippi. Hello. <laughs> oh, that was a man of few words. That a was neat. Yes. Hey, he knows his role. He knows his role. Anyways, let's, uh, let's not ignore the obvious here. Let's state the obvious. ECU's okay. coming off a bowl win. Their first bowl win since 2013. And it's their only 10th one in history, right? Yeah, 10th wow, one in history. Wow, since 1952 they had their first one. Wow, 10, 10 bowl wins. Thank you for that, Chris. Either way, ECU won 53-29 to over Coastal Carolina in Birmingham, Alabama in the Birmingham Bowl. Their third actually their third meeting in the Birmingham Bowl, or their third appearance in the Birmingham Bowl. This is the first time they won it. Um, just a great... I don't want to say a perfect performance, but a great performance all around here. Um, a lot of people want to say that's due to Grayson McCall being out. Um, nonetheless, um, ECU gets the job done. It ain't a matter of how you did it. It's a matter of did you get it done, and they got it done. Well, I'm going to say how they did it. Holt Naylor's six total touchdowns. How about that? Uh, yeah, I was going to save that. Six but total touchdowns. Yeah, Holt Naylor's 300 passing yards, five passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown as well. He broke the bowl record. Um, with six total touchdowns, the most touchdowns by any player accounted for, or the most total touchdowns for a player in that bowl game. So broke a bowl record. Also is named the Birmingham Bowl MVP. A perfect send-off for a great leader here at ECU the past, what's it, 10 years? No, <laughs> Something like that, yeah, past it feels like six it. six years. Um, nonetheless, a great send-off for the hometown kid. Um, very chippy game. And Mike Houston told us it was going to be that way. If you didn't watch a lot of Coastal coming into that game, uh, that's just the way they play. Um, my big takeaway from Coastal in that game, seeing them for maybe like the second or third time this year, very undisciplined group. Part of that might be because their head coach is gone, their quarterback and their center already announced, who really were the heart of that offense, um, announced that they were leaving. Despite that, they decided to play in the game. Um, nonetheless, very chippy group. I remember a moment where uh, I believe it was a receiver for Coastal, basically bull rush an ECU player all the way behind the end zone. That actually made it on Sports Center's Instagram today. And I don't believe a flag was thrown on that. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. That's another big takeaway. The uh, obviously we got to celebrate this moment, right? Oh, like, it's awesome! Yeah, I'm so happy to see it. This is not a complaint. At the end of the day, I don't care. But we can all agree officiating was not good in that game. I'll give Coastal that. If they want to complain about the officiating, so be it. Let's not act like that was a disciplined group that didn't deserve some of the flags that were coming their way. Um, nonetheless, chippy game. Uh, that was expected. Mike Houston at halftime on the radio broadcast uh, said he expected that, and that's the way they play. Kind of took a shot at him, um, and we just can't get involved in extracurriculars. Pirates able to do that and win the ball game. 
Uh, my big takeaway is mainly from the fans. You would think that they wouldn't take this win for granted, uh, considering where the program was just four years ago after, uh, I don't want to say some glory years, but um, some uh, a very tenured success here for the ECU football program that we kind of got uh, accustomed to. Then the Scotty Moe era came around, and uh, we all know what happened there. But Pirate fans taking this win for granted, and I, I kind of saw this coming um, when we were still trying to figure out where we were going bowling. And Pirate fans were like, well, I don't want to play this team. I don't want to play in this bowl game. Um, we're above that or this or that. To hell if we're above it. We haven't been in a bowl game since 2015. I'll take what I can get. Yeah, me too. Seriously. I don't care if we're playing in Myrtle Beach. I don't care if we're playing in Tallahassee. I don't care if we're playing in Timbuktu. I just want to play in a bowl and get a win, and we did that. Um, don't take it for granted. And it leads me to a very interesting argument. Not much was made by the fans about us winning the game. In typical Pirate fan fashion, a whole lot of complaints came about. We were told Mason Garcia was going to get more snaps. Why didn't he get more snaps? Well, it seemed like they were going to do that. But I was looking forward to that a little bit. Not going to say I'm complaining that it didn't happen, but I was expecting maybe at the end there when they started really getting up, I was like, okay, maybe let's see this guy get some action. When we got ahead about by like two possessions, I was like, all right, actually three possessions. I was like, all right, now's Tom. But apparently, and this was according to people that I trust that were there, uh, they said Holt put his helmet back on and just went back out there. And to be fair, I can't complain about that. I rightly, I, I rightfully believe that the man deserves it. I do, I do as well, yeah. And I even told you that, Chris. I was kind of like half-joking, kind of being ironic or uh, sarcastic, excuse me, that uh, they want Holton to go out there, and he wants to go out on the shield in his final game or whatnot. He did want to do that. Yeah, yeah. and that's kind of just what happened. And honestly, he deserves it. Why not? Um, yes, I see the value in Mason Garcia playing, I guess you could say, meaningful snaps in a big game. But at the end of the day, he's going to have a whole offseason. We forget Mason Garcia has a start under his belt. Under, against a chippy bunch and a very challenging bunch against Navy uh, about this time of year, or not this time of year ago, but the previous season. Um, and I think that's valuable experience. And then he's got two off seasons under his belt. I think he's going to be all right. And who better to play behind than Holton Aylers? Get into that. Anyways, I just thought that argument was ridiculous. To complain about Mason Garcia not getting any more snaps after a bowl win is the most ridiculous, like, entitled thing. I've ever heard from ECU fans or fans yeah, in general, I'm with you. especially when they have no reason to be entitled. Because I think you can say, like, oh, okay, I thought he was going to get in, wish I saw that, but to complain about it after finally getting the 10th bowl win, first one since 2013. And a dominant win. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they killed him. Uh, it poses an interesting argument, and uh, this is another thing that kind of caught my attention. Um, we can go in about the bowl game. Everybody's done that. I mean, I'm not going to tell you anything that I saw that you didn't see or you don't already know. Highly penalized game. Refs controlled the game. But I don't want to say they controlled the game, but the refs were They dominant. played a big part in the game, They're a big yeah. part. They wanted to be on TV, let's put it that uh -huh. way. You might know their names. They're on a first-name basis by this point. But um, one interesting thing that kind of caught my attention is in the pregame show, Bush Lake Pirate Game Day Countdown, which we did a good job all year with. Um, special thanks to everybody that was involved with Oh, yeah, and that TV was really fun yesterday. T-Cop, great stuff. Great way to close out the season with a great show. But T-Cop said he is going down as one of the top three Pirate quarterbacks ever, and he deserves his flowers. And I didn't think that was a controversial statement. I don't either. I don't think you can go wrong with saying Holton Naylor's is top three, even if you disagree with it. I think he's 
I think to say he's not top five, I think you completely have some kind of bias against him. Oh, you're a hater if you say he's not top five. I can see the top three. You're like, okay, well, ability-wise, there's guys better. But top five, like, come on. Yeah, and I'm not even going to go as far as to say he's the best winner at quarterback in Pirate history. I'm not going to go as far as to say he's the best quarterback in Pirate history. I'm not even going to go as far as to say he's top three quarterback in Pirate history. But at least top five, and he's, he deserves his due. And I will say this for the people that are really about Holton. They just play both sides of the spectrum here. I think the story of Holton Aylers is a little bit more intriguing than the play in the stats. And the stats are great. I'm not going to lie. The stats are pretty pretty damn good. But when you see his actual play, I think the story is way more intriguing. And I think the story is a very integral, crucial part to the legacy and tenure when you look back on Holton Aylers. I think the story of ECU football, when it's all said and done, whenever that is, I think when there's a book written about it, the book is closed, like one of those big books in Game of Thrones of all the history or whatever. Oh, love Game of Thrones. Holton is going to be a big piece of that. I, I think so also. Hometown kid, grew up an ECU fan. All you wanted to do was be a part of it. It's always been his mission in life or his goal. Not necessarily his main goal in life, but a big part of it. Committed to the program. I don't want to say in a, in a time of turmoil because we weren't quite there yet. But in a very, uh, how do you put it? There was a lot of unknowns when he committed. Oh, there definitely forward. was. Ruffin yeah. McNeil's out. Scotty Moe's in. Does Scotty Moe even deserve a head coaching job? I did. I personally believe he was unqualified at the time. So what? You're an offensive coordinator at Duke when they had a bowl season. I don't care. Duke has a bowl season. It feels like every five years. Doesn't mean anything. They never sustain. At the end of the day, that's a, a whole other argument, a whole other tangent for another day. But he came and committed at a time when there's a lot, of, a lot of unknowns. Stuck around when there's a lot of turmoil. Came in with the coaching change when Mike Houston came in, decided to stick it out. Stuck true to this promise that he was going to turn the program around. Was the ultimate leader during that time. Played with, quite frankly, in his first couple years as a starter in Mike Houston, with guys that were not D1 athletes. Scotty Moe had a lot of people on this team that were not D1 athletes. Oh, they're on a whole different level now than they were back then, I would say. And I'm not in the business of knocking college athletes, even with the NIL money involved now. But all you have to do is look at the guys that came in during the Scotty Moe era and that kind of left when Mike Houston came around and see where they ended up. And it further proves my point that these guys were not had no business playing D1 football. Nonetheless, he stuck it out, got us to two bowl games, Played through a lot of injuries. I think that's something we're leaving out here. That that is a big factor. Played through some injuries, very banged up this year. Uh, And his non-throwing shoulder, a couple other injuries that weren't really talked about. Thank God it wasn't his throwing shoulder, though. Yeah, had a month of rest, so I think that definitely helped. And finished with a a bowl win. I mean, I don't see how you can deny that. What a storied career. it's, It's literally something out of a movie. It's a storybook ending for a storybook career here at ECU. And uh, I saw other comments about, well, uh, he's not going to the NFL, though. Okay, so what? Yeah, who cares? I don't care about the NFL. I care about ECU. I care about the young man's future more than anything. And he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. He's gonna Whatever he decides to do in life, he's going to be all right. And uh, I think we're ignoring the fact this is not the day where a guy graduates and had a storybook college career. Maybe he's not necessarily an NFL talent. Uh, he might bounce on a practice squad or something, and then we never see him again in pro football. There's so much more opportunities in pro football now. We forget we have other leagues where you can make, where you can find means to play pro football and make money. 
Oh, I think I could totally see him being a superstar in like the XFL or the USFL. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no, no, there's nothing wrong with that. He could have a story career in the XFL and the USFL, and I'll be perfectly fine with that. Work under Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? Yeah, whatever. Who cares? Yeah, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, whatever. How I wonder how involved he really is in that in terms of the day to day operation. Probably a figurehead money giver. Yeah, he's probably more so just a publicity kind of public figure type deal. Uh, more so, he's more so involved. Even though he owns it, he's more so involved in the promotion aspect of things. For sure, I'm excited for the XFL though. I am too. I don't want to get too far off it, but give him his flowers is all I'm saying. Let's give him his flowers. I'm with you. Yeah. Yes, did Holton have some uh, very questionable moments? Were there times where he's inconsistent here? There's no denying that. Even if you're a big time Holton fan, there were some games where he didn't show up. He was inconsistent. But I heard this, and we heard this throughout the season. It seems like he's the same from when he was a sophomore. He's playing the exact same. Decision-making was a huge step up for Holton Aylers this year. And the stats go to prove that. He improved every single year stat-wise since he's been here. Passing numbers went up. Passing touchdowns went up. For the exception of one year where he only played eight games. Um, a lot of records of that, broken. Not only ECU, but also AAC records. Absolutely. Broke almost, and part of that is because of his tenure. You can't deny that. He was here for six years, played for five of those, I believe. That That is a huge factor in that. But broke every quarterback record. I feel like there is to be broken here at ECU. All I'm saying is he deserves his flowers, and let's not take this ball win or Holton Aylers for granted. I'm with you on that. Feel free to chime in if you've got some complaints. Here. Just your outlook on the bowl game, your personal thoughts on the bowl game. If you went to Birmingham, share your experience. If you want to chime in on the Holton Aylers argument, you completely disagree. Calling it 561-GAME, 561-4263. On the other side, we'll hear a couple of sound bites from the post game. Very emotional Mike Houston, very emotional Holton Aylers as he played his final game. Talk a little bit more of some other players that played their final game and a couple other players who showed up. That's all on the other side right here on the Pirate Report. On Patrick Johnson, Chubb, Ben Byron filling in, Chris Cook on the ones and twos right here on 94 Through the Game. Welcome back to the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben B. Baby Barm filling for the P-Man. Chris Cook on the one two, ones and twos alongside me. Mississippi providing production assistance. I forgot to mention this in the first segment. We're leading you into Eastview basketball coverage as they op- open American Conference play against Temple in Menji's Coliseum. It's a special hour-and-a-half edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Also, we'll consider it a Pirate Game Day countdown. Why not? Uh, we'll lead you into network coverage here at 6.30 as the voice of the Pirates, Jeff Charles and Coach Michael Perry, bring you all the action. Quick turnaround for the voice, Jeff Charles. Went to Birmingham, has to come right back to Greenville. I know, what a hard-working man, right? I think they got back at like 2 o'clock in the morning. Jesus. He's got to get ready for this game against Temple. Hey, I respect it. Hey, he's I respect prof- it. He's, he's the man. man yeah. He's the man for sure. i got to give him his due. Also, Patrick Johnson on the call tonight on ESPN Plus with Cy Seymour at 7 o'clock. Be sure to check that out if and, you cannot uh, catch the radio broadcast. Live Twitter coverage via at 94.3 The Game. Absolutely, yeah. Be sure to check that out as well. Uh, Chris Cook will be there. If you see him, say hello. If you know what he looks like, he's a grotesque figure. Oh, yeah. If you no, see a not. grotesque-looking man walking by, it's me, and you can say <laughs> hey. And I'll be like, oh, what's up? <laughs> Either way. Let, now that we got that out of the way, let's get back to this bowl game. A lot of uh, emotional comments made after the game, the post-game presser at the Birmingham Bowl. Pirates get their first bowl win since 2013. 
in the Beefo Brady Bowl down in New Orleans under head coach Ruffin McNeil with Shane Carden. Um, first bowl appearance since 2015 in the Birmingham Bowl against Florida. Um, nonetheless, let's get right into it. Here's Houston's opening statement. The emotions are pouring out after that 53-29 to dominant win over Coastal Carolina in the Birmingham Bowl last night. What a great night for Pirate Nation. And uh, just uh, so excited for our players, uh, excited for our fans, excited for our institution. Um, you know, this is this has been the goal since we got here was to, to get uh, get ECU back to, uh, you know, winning, winning and back to being in bowl contention and back to winning bowl games. And so uh, tonight's a very significant achievement for a lot of people. And just I couldn't be more proud not only of these two up here, but of, you know, this entire senior class because, you know, they've been here since day one. Uh, and, you know, they they'll tell you uh, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to do. And uh, we probably got mad at each other a lot, especially those first couple of years. But we stuck together and uh, just appreciate their leadership, appreciate their dedication, and appreciate the way uh, they prepared our team tonight. I think it goes without saying it's also a man that deserves his due. I oh, think, of course. I think a lot of times a lot of people didn't really see his vision, uh, mainly because they didn't play his favorite. He didn't play their favorite player. He didn't play Mason Garcia when times got tough, or he didn't take out a Owen Daffer, or whatever the case may be. Or a big thing coming into this year was, well, Mike Houston doesn't have any signature wins. Well, I feel like he got like three or four of them. He got year. one last night. Yeah, I was like, all right, UCF is definitely one. Okay, the last night was definitely one. You can think of two others. I'm not going to look back on the season and pick them out for you. I'm going to say it's he's the main reason. Behind, BYU is one, I would yep, think. I'm going to say he's the main reason behind the huge turnaround. Well, absolutely. I mean, he even uh, brought it up when he first started coming here, and he still kind of brings it up occasionally to this day. When he came in and he saw what Scotty Mo left behind, Complete turmoil. That's kind of been the key word for the day. Complete turmoil when Scotty Moe was here and what he left behind. A, a locker room that just wasn't really into it. It was almost like a dead locker room getting ready for a job. Some people seemed like they were scared to play. Just Some athletes who had no business playing D1 football. Um, undersized units. Um, just It just didn't look like a D1 football program that was going to compete in any FCS conference for that matter. And it, for him to completely turn around and get it back to Pirates winning ways, uh, especially with the football program, is huge. And one thing that a, pe- a lot of people are not mentioning or don't like care to acknowledge, but it's something I've noticed, when Pirate football is rolling in Greenville, Greenville's Greenville is city. better. Greenville is completely different. It turns from a town to a city right there. I don't know if you if you caught this, but when Scotty Moe was here and we weren't doing too well, even with the first couple of years of Houston, we're still trying to rebuild things and find our footing. Um, EC was just kind of different compared to when we were rolling under Ruff and McNeil. Oh, yeah, what the, it is now. The the atmosphere for tailgating at the start of this season when we played NC State, I have not seen Greenville like that since I got into college. I can't explain it. There's maybe some kind of psychological reason for it. You know, I'm very into psychological yeah, of course, type reasons of course. for things. Uh-huh. But uh, Greenville's just rolling in general. The whole social aspect is a whole much a whole lot better. And us being like college age kids, uh-huh. me being 21, you 23. Um, we can vouch. You could take our word that Greenville is rolling. Oh, it's popping, especially downtown. Oh yeah, it's popping. That's all I'm gonna say. And it there, hasn't but. been popping this much uh, since I've been in college. Just Absolutely. saying, yeah. When the football program is rolling, Greenville is rolling. Let's not forget that. Let's yeah, not the, take it for granted. The, the city owes a huge thank you to Mike Houston. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, skip this one. Great way to end the season. Well, that's pretty obvious. But Holton talked about it being being locked in for his final game. 
uh, and wanted to do the right thing and get a bowl win for ECU to close out his tenure. Yeah, you know, I was locked in. Um, meantime, you miss, you know, you have one final game in a month to prepare for it. I mean, I better went out there and played good. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had a really good game plan, um, to get some quick throws early to get those really good receivers going. I mean, they did a really good job. Um, you know, offensive line was blocking their tail off. You know, we had a lot of RPOs and the beginning of the game, I threw a lot of them. Um, and they hung in there and keep hung in there and, you know, didn't have a negative attitude about it. You know, they just wanted the team to win and to move the ball. So, um, it was a total team win tonight. You know, I'm super proud of the guys and, you know, I couldn't imagine going on a better way than this. I don't want to overlook the guys that stuck with the program. Um, you know, it seems like I'm really kissing Holton's ass and, you know, I'm really Let, Let's give it. a whole shout out to the 2018 class. Well, I did, the freshman just class. Just getting into it here. A couple other guys that uh, played their final game in a part uniform. Isaiah Winstead had a really great day. Oh, great transfer. Six catches on 11 targets, 72 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns. I would say he was one of the MVPs at the half at that game and then really finished it off with a strong performance. Um, obviously, Ryan Jones, who didn't play in it, declared for the draft. Um, a couple other guys on the defensive side of the ball. Julius Wood, who came in as a grad transfer, had a great year this year. I believe he was uh, he was snubbed when it came to all-conference nod, what I thought was crazy. He won some games this year, was very strong grad transfer uh, coming in this year, stuck it out, played safety, had some big moments, played his final game in a power uniform, as well as Miles Berry. It's really like, a really good leader on the Pirate defense. Xavier Smith did not play in that game. We don't, we're don't. we not quite sure why, but um, he wasn't able to play in that game. Um, he's done. And we're leaving for, out yeah. that Miles Berry is a huge Game of Thrones fan. Okay, and and yeah, you're an I, automatic. Right, you're a real right. one in my book if you're a Game of Thrones Moving fan. Moving on. I'm trying to give these people their due here. I'm giving him his due. He's a Game of Thrones fan. What's, what's a cooler? Nobody like, cares about Game of Thrones right now. Noah Henderson, another one. Just all these guys deserve. Um, they're due and deserve their respect for what they did for this program. You know, a lot has been made about Holton Aylers, but those guys are just as crucial to turn this thing around as anything. I mean, those guys playing crucial positions. Another one, Malik Fleming, who really kind of anchored the secondary this year, who a lot of people criticized that was shaky at times, and I will agree with you. But one guy who really held it down, and he was really good as a returner this year as well, was Malik Fleming, really the rock and the leader of that secondary this year. Congratulations to those guys. You had a great career here in a pirate uniform. Moving on here down along the line here on the cut sheet, another guy that played his final game in a pirate uniform, Gerard Stringer, um, really just very reflective in the post game here. Um, I believe his number had a meaning for him uh, coming into the season. This is a weird cut. I don't know why he got this. This is not you, Chris, somebody else. Uh, but he said, uh, I guess this is interesting. This stood out to whoever cut this. Uh, he reflected on the fact that he changed his number before the season, so maybe this has some meaning to him. The the date's coming up from the past, so I've been thinking about this the whole month. So uh, it's always on my mind. Every day I think about my brother, and it helps me get through the day. And it helps me remember what I do, how, how I get through the everything. It's a very emotional moment for Gerard Stringer, honoring his brother, who I believe passed away before the season. So he changed his number to reflect that. I do remember him saying something about that early in the season. So, uh, hey, our best regards to him. He did a really great job this year. He made him proud. It was a great pirate. Um, wrapping it up here, uh, getting a little bit more into uh, the kind of the uh, post-game shenanigans here. Holton Aylers, this is a video that kind of made the rounds on Twitter. Leading the fight song afterwards was the conductor. Having some fun. He talked about leading the fight song after the game and what was what and what was his final game in a pirate uniform. So last night, um, right before we took the stage at the pep rally, 
Um, their head guy came. He was like, when y'all win tomorrow, he didn't say if y'all win. He said, when y'all win tomorrow, um, come up and lead the fight song with me. And, you know, you always see it, you know, on TV and stuff like that. But I mean, I would have never thought about doing that myself, but, um, you know, it was a moment I'll never forget. And, you know, that fight song means a lot, you know, to me and my family. And, um, I mean, it always will. And, you know, ECU is always home and Greenville is always home for me. And it was bittersweet, you know, moving on and, um, you know, I tried to stay as long as I possibly could. So I think they're going to kick me out now, but, uh, yeah, um, it's been a long journey, um, with these guys and the guys in that locker room uh, and guys that, you know, already graduated. But I mean, I, like I said, I wouldn't want to do it with anyone else. Class act, Holton Aylers. Um, two other cuts. I said that'd be the final one, but two other really catch my attention and deserve being played. Um, uh, Mike Houston, um, talked about Holton playing his final game. Mike Houston, um, was very uh, loyal to Holton. Even at times where Holton didn't look his best, he uh, he was his biggest supporter. Yeah, yeah, stayed committed to him. Uh, really hammered down the fact that this is the guy that's going to lead our program to where it needs to be and really pave the way for the future, even years after he's gone and really get us back on track. No matter what he did the previous game, he's going to bounce back. Um, Mike Houston, Holton's biggest supporter, he talks about um, what it means for um, what it, him, the emotions he's going through as Holton played his final game last night. I think we all saw what we expected. I mean, and that's that's the biggest credit you can give him. You know, his his senior season, we were talking up on the stage out there, and you know, when he decided to come back, uh, you know, he came back for a for, for a reason. And uh, you know, he's he's had a, a senior year that will go down in the record books. Um, and to cap it off with not only getting us back into bowl season, but uh, with a bowl win and then a performance like that. Uh, but that's what we've come to expect is the consistency throughout his, throughout his career. And especially this year, uh, you expect a performance like that each week. And that's a credit to him and the hard work he's put in. It's a credit to the offensive line protecting him. It's a credit to the receivers he has. Um, but at the end of the day, he's the one that uh, had to go out there and play. So we're just uh, proud of him and uh, excited for what's next. Uh, so that is the big question when it comes to Holton Aylers. What is next for Holton Aylers? Cut six here. Uh, he talked about what he would do and what's what's next for Holton Aylers now that the season's over and his college football career is now all said and done. That chapter's closed. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna celebrate. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm gonna do. Um, yeah, after this, you know, I'm playing the Hula Bowl the 14th, so I mean, it's kind of go time with that. Um, you know, I played all season with the Torn Labrum. I uh, tore it my first game. Of, I mean, third drive in the first game of the season. So I uh, got to get that fixed and then, you know, see where life takes me, see where football takes me. You know, I love this sport. Um, I love this university. And I couldn't imagine um, playing for another team. And, you know, I, I told Coach Houston before we walked down, I was like, I'm, I'm just going to sleep in my uniform. I don't want to take it off yet. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, just to, you know, being a kid from Greenville um, and experiencing that out there, you know, that's all I ever wanted um, was, was to bring this university and this football program back. Um, I mean, these fans certainly deserve it. I mean, you could see out there. I mean, almost the whole stadium on our side was just purple and gold. And um, it's a night I'll remember forever. And it's a night that I've been working for and Gerard and you know, all those boys since we were 17, 18 years old. So uh, it's a in do, but uh, I'm glad we're here now. That's going to do it for today's Pirate Report. A couple other quick mentions here, ECU Basketball playing later tonight at 7 o'clock in Minji's Coliseum. We're leading you in a network coverage at 6.30. And we're excited. As the voice, Jeff Charles and Coach Michael Perry will bring you all the live play-by-play action on the radio broadcast. ECU basketball, kind of surprising a lot of people. Finished non-conference play 9-4. and four. 
I'm quite frankly surprised. Got some really good wins out of non-conference play. How about Mike Schwartz, baby? Patrick Johnson also on the call on ESPN Plus for the TV side of things with Cy Seymour. That comes your way at 7 o'clock if you cannot catch the radio broadcast. Also, ECU women's basketball playing tomorrow night um, in Menji's Coliseum as they also open American Conference play against Tulsa at 6 o'clock. Patrick Johnson also on the call on ESPN+. Plus. That's going to do it for today's Pirate Report. Coming up, we'll look at all the latest sports headlines and break it down right here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Welcome back to the Patrick Johnson Show. No, it wasn't the Peach Bowl, but it was the Birmingham Bowl. And if you ask any old schmo, old schmuck here in Greenville, apparently they were at the Peach Bowl. Doesn't matter if they were 30. Doesn't matter if they were 20. Doesn't matter if they were 70. Doesn't matter what age they were. It doesn't matter if it even makes sense. If the math doesn't even add up, they were at the Peach Bowl. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me considering there was 50,000 there. Um, but and you've heard 100,000 people I've say they I've talked to 100,000 yeah. people that were there at the Peach Bowl. Um, yeah, it wasn't the Peach Bowl. I'm sorry, folks, but nonetheless, a bowl win. Let's get over the Peach Bowl from 30 years ago. Jeez. Anyway, sorry, I had to get that out there. I'm so well, hey, we got a new bowl win for everybody to talk about, baby. Yeah, talk about this one. Let's talk about it. This was a pretty good one, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, hey, they accomplished something that that legendary 2015 uh, team wasn't able to do. They won the Birmingham Bowl. You like to throw the word around legendary around. Oh, a lot. dude, Shane Carden, that's all those a, guys. That's Zay not Jones. a knock on that team, but legendary. Settle down. Settle okay, down. all right. Settle down. Peach Bowl team, as as annoying as it gets to hear about it, that's there a are leg- some legends. That's a legendary. There's some team. Greenville legends for sure. Legend, you got to think, is a truly elite group. You can't just throw that word around. Right. Okay. Either way, let's get into the latest headlines of the day here, Chris. Uh, we kind of compose all the biggest stories of the day. And let's start with what's happened with the Panthers here. Okay, I just want to say first, feel free to chime in if you want to call in, give your opinion on any of this. All right, number one. 252-561-4263. game. Uh, number one, we got Josh Norman signs with your Carolina Panthers. I feel like people are making this out to be a bigger deal than what it really is. Um, he's got the Steve Wilkes connection. He had his best year under Steve Wilkes when he was a secondary coach in that 2015 Super Bowl year where there was no debate. Best cornerback in football. No debate about it. But uh, at the end of the day, he's clearly not that guy anymore. He's 35. Um, that locker room does need a veteran presence, especially in the secondary. Deontay Jackson got hurt. J.C. Horn is now banged up. And guys like Keith Taylor and even Jeremy Chin in coverage have been abysmal. They need a veteran presence. I like the move, but I don't think this is going to be a huge impact piece that's going to really change our fortunes around. I don't know, though. Hey, Carolina is fighting for the playoffs here at the end of the year. Well, yeah, I acknowledge and we, that. We had them dead to rights, like, halfway through the season. You expect them to do anything in the playoffs, though, if they do backdoor their way in? It's uh, not yeah, like we're getting up I for love, a Super Bowl I, run here. I love rooting for the teams that, like, no one expects to win, man. I, I, the Panthers, like, I wrote them off halfway through the year. I think they got a shot. Oh, I damn sure did it, but... But yeah, we're not talking about a suit. Like people think this is a Super Bowl piece. This is the icing on the cake. Oh no, this Josh is going to make watch. this is going to cement a, a a deep playoff run. No, and that it's not going to do. Yeah, um, I am with you on that. It, I'm just saying I like to root for the underdog teams. If it was during the season, it wouldn't be news. That's all I'm going to say. Moving on, um, I think this is probably the biggest story in the NFL right now, and probably in sports right now. Um, 
Go ahead and take it away, Chris. Here we go. And I want to hear Mississippi's input on this, considering he's a big Raiders fan. The Raiders have benched quarterback Derek Carr for the remainder of the season. So uh, I honestly think that this is kind of a smart move on the Raiders' part simply because you lost to the Steelers. You're pretty much out of the playoff spot. You got really nothing to play for. Uh, so why put Derek Carr in harm's way and get him injured? So, um, I just don't understand the Raiders like front office whatsoever. Derek Carr was never a guy that deserved a three-year contract with all that money. That made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Derek Carr's whole career has really been um, surrounded by uncertainty. I'm gonna say mediocrity. Yeah, he's the most mediocre, mediocre, mediocre excuse me, quarterback in the NFL. A lot of people want to say that about Kirk Cousins. No, it's Derek Carr. Yeah, and see, Devontae Adams, as much as I love him, Packers legend, he said something recently that grinded my gears a little bit because I know he was just saying I know it. what you're going to say. This is such a non-thing right here. Uh, he said that Rodgers and Carr are very similar talent and ability-wise. I'm going to say that's cap. Well, yeah. That's yeah. cap. But getting back to the, 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 more, the matter at hand here, more so the headline, um, I'm looking at – I don't understand the move here because basically – well, you're this, giving up on the season. Well, what it says to me is that you're you're basically trying to get out of that Derek Carr contract. There's some kind of technicality loophole that I found on Twitter where basically he can um he doesn't pass his physical or something. Apparently there's some deal with his physical going on right now. They can void a ton of money in his contract, but he's still like they still owe him like forty million dollars guaranteed. Nonetheless, they can get rid of him and uh, they can gear for the future and get another quarterback. I'm looking at the free agent market right now for quarterbacks. Not to say it's a terrible quarterback free agent market, but these are not quarterbacks that are going to turn your your franchise around. Looking at it, these are guys that are like bridge quarterbacks almost. Obviously, you got Tom Brady, um, but at this point in his career, I don't like to count out Tom Brady, but he's a bridge quarterback. Of course. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a controversial statement here. You're going to sell some tickets, yeah. but yeah, you're probably not going to win the Super Bowl. Which is interesting because Tom Brady was heavily considered by the Raiders and was, was considering the Raiders before he went to the Bucks. So mm-hmm. maybe we could see a Tom Brady um, kind of tenure there with uh, Las Vegas. I, I don't mean, know. Oh, he I wouldn't do anything good for them. I mean, I don't know, but imagine him with Devontae Adams, though. I think well, he can't who's, be say, any... who's to say Devontae Adams will stay, though, because he came for Carr I in think... the first place. I'll, I'll make this statement. He wins you more games than Derek Carr. I'm agreeing with I mean, that. Hey, I'm going to agree with that. He wins you way more games than Derek Carr. Yeah, yeah um, I can agree with looking that. Looking at some other guys in this quarterback for agent class, Geno Smith, do you really want to commit to Geno Smith his first good year ever? No. In 10 years? No. Nope. Andy Dalton, you know what you're getting with him. <laughs> Lamar Jackson. Oh, yeah, see, that, now, now there's yeah. a biggie right there. Oh, yeah, that's a big There's one right a big there. one. The problem is I don't see him leaving Baltimore. I don't. Yeah. I, I do. He sounds, like he, he, he sounds like he wants to move on. No, it's it's just negotiating tactics. Is all it is. They're gonna give him a big contract in the year. I guarantee it. Not I'm not not to rule out your possibility there. Okay. But most likely, all signs the point. He's probably gonna stay. Okay. I I, I just see that. I just I think that makes. I the most see. Sense. I'm gonna go ahead and give a hot take, and I'm saying he's leaving. Hmm. Okay. Why would he get? Well, more. I money. guess Vegas is kind of a um yeah, appealing yeah. destination. It's I just, appealing. I think Josh McDaniels is not an appealing head coach yeah, to play it, for, though. Absolutely. Uh, a couple other guys, Jimmy Garoppolo, Daniel Jones, Jacoby Brissett, Taylor Heineke, Baker Mayfield, so it trails off huge um, after that. Sam Darnold. Nah, Just I throwing that out there, Sam Darnold. Nah. Hey, he's, <laughs> hey, he's getting I, it done in Carolina. Sam Darnold's balling. Don't diss my boy Sam Darnold. You were here. dissing him all this year. Hey, I, hey, he's a different Sam Darnold now. 
Different play, different story. You wanted him out. You were like, he's a product of Matt Rule. You're just changing the script all of a sudden. All you have to do is win, baby. It's like Holton Aylers. All you got to do is win. I'm calling bandwagon. I'm a Panthers fan. I'm, I'm calling bandwagon okay, so Mr. hard Mr. Right Green now. Bay. Anyways, uh, go to the next story here. All right, here we go. Speaking of these quarterbacks, uh, Commanders have Carson Wentz back as the starting quarterback against the Browns, and I'm going to say that that's dumb. That's a terrible move. That's dumb. Uh, first of all, Carson Wentz, um, I think the story of Carson Wentz and getting to that MVP form, even a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, is done. Decision-making is awful. Um, doesn't seem to have the ability to lead a locker room. Like, nobody – Carson Wentz is the corniest mofo in the NFL right now when it comes to quarterback. Oh, yeah. He <laughs> reminds me of Russell Wilson. They're just cornballs. And one thing that really stood out to me about the Commanders under this little Heineke era they got going on here is Heineke might not have the talent, but he has a lot of heart, and he's got the locker room. The locker room buys into Taylor Heineke. They like Taylor Haneke. They want to win for Taylor Haneke. Yeah, they copied the Kirk Cousins thing where they iced him out with all the chains yeah. and stuff. Lock- and, and then people from uh, the Vikings were even getting mad on social media saying that like we did it first and stuff like that. I love Taylor Haneke. I think he's way better than Carson Wentz. My big mm. point here is locker rooms don't want to win for Carson Wentz. and they've, they've made that pretty apparent in Washington, and they've made it pretty apparent before that. Nobody wants to win for Carson Wentz. He's got no personality. He's corny. Uh, he's not good. He'll probably he's, never be good. Again. He's just a good family man, you know. Like you would pass him on the street and be like, "Oh, hey, what's up? Have a little combo." That doesn't fly nowadays. The only way you can get away with that is if you have the career accolades or if you have. And the he resume. does not. He, doesn't he does have not it. have it. He just doesn't have it. He doesn't have it at all anymore. I think it's a dumb move. I, I think it's really dumb. I think, especially when the Commanders are gearing up for a potential playoff berth here, why make that move? It's a, just a questionable move on Ron Rivera. He's usually a very conservative coach making a rash decision here. This is truly Riverboat Ron here. <laughs> so uh, moving on here, what do we got next? All right, up next we got for the Dolphins, Tua Tugavailoa is now day-to-day with his recent concussion that he suffered at the hands of my Green Bay Packers. Not saying that's a good thing. And backup quarterback Teddy Bridgewater, former Panther, is expected to start the next game. Um, you'll never win because of Teddy Bridgewater. You'll never lose because of him. He's just a he's just a uh, game manager. That, I, I think you said it perfectly. Yeah, yeah. I think this is such a non-story. Um, uh-huh. I'd never really bought into Dolphins. They're a good team. They're a good regular season team. I never bought into them as a true force out of the AFC to win a Super Bowl or be a Super Bowl contender. Me either. So yeah, they're I, just not complete. They're not there yet. So I have a question. Do y'all think um, the Dolphins should? Just uh, shut down two for the rest of the season. Yes, it's second time he's had like a really bad concussion thing. I think they need to keep him out. He shouldn't uh, have been playing after the first one. Yeah, that was that, horrendous. That, yeah, that was oh, that was bad. one of the most gruesome things I've ever seen, like on live TV. Mike McDaniel, a fun coach to follow and get behind, but uh, he's got a lot of maturing to do, a lot of growing pains to get through as a head coach. Um, that's just the uh, that's just the risk you play and the risk you take when you hire a young coach like that. Uh, moving on. What's the next one? All right, Texans head coach Lovey Smith is folk. He says that he's focused on wins and not the number one draft pick. I'm gonna say that's bullcrap. Um, you know, yeah, well, I've, that's purely coaches speak. I think they are tanking. I, th- I think they're tanking as well. I, I, it's not even a think. They're tanking. Like, come on. I think this is the worst year to tank. Cause who are you tanking for? Because I'm looking at this quarterback class. I don't love anybody in this class. They're all. 
I could see them being okay quarterbacks in the league. And obviously I could be wrong. I can't predict the future. I'm with you. I don't but see- nobody's college resume is blowing me away right now out of this quarterback class. So their college play is blowing me away. Yeah, I don't a lot see of another inconsistent quarterbacks. I don't see another Joe Burrow coming into like a Cincinnati Bengals. There's no sure thing. There's can, no sure thing. You can argue, well, there's never a sure thing, but there's no like Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow type talent coming in this draft. Like Bryce Young, inconsistent, kind of been disappointing this year. Same for C.J. Stroud. Then you have guys like Will Levis. Um, I see the uh, the, the uh, Florida quarterback Richardson getting thrown around. Ugh, I'm staying away from that. Max Dugan as well. Yeah, I, yeah, Max Dugan. He's back up, back up for sure. But these guys, uh, these guys right now, uh, you're looking at in the draft have had inconsistent uh, college careers, especially when you go when you uh, get past the top two there in Stroud and Young, who have been inconsistent themselves. There's a huge trail off there of uncertainty. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't see the point in tanking. What are you tanking for? Um, this is why the Texans have been so bad. Um, Lovey Smith, by the way, should have never been a head coach in the first place. Unqualified. Moving on. All right, next up on the list, we got Luka Doncic. Scores 60 points. Hold on, hold on. You skipped one. Oh, I, I didn't know we were going in order. Okay. Yeah. All right, next up on the list, we got Hall of Fame wide receiver Terrell Owens is currently in talks with the Cowboys and other See, teams. See, this is a way better story. Screw Luca right now. This is a way better story. I, uh, this isn't going to happen. He's not going to play in the NFL again. Well, he's, been trying doing, he's been trying to do this for like the past five years. He's every not going to play in the NFL Every again. year we get this story. He played in that fan-controlled football league, I believe. But, like, that, that is not a talented league. I don't care if he got touchdowns in that league. That was literally the league where a quarterback ran in for a touchdown and slid a blunt on the sideline. This is never going to happen. Absolutely, I, I yeah. really don't see it happening. You could play with guys that are not talented coming off the couch or just didn't make it to any professional football league in a fan-controlled gimmicky league. But this is the NFL we're talking about here. And the wide receiver talent, I would argue, is the most talented it's ever been. Oh, of course. There's guys sitting in free agency right now that are good wide receivers. Oh, of course, yeah. It feels mm-hmm. like it's been that way for the past couple of seasons. I mean, yeah, you got guys like Jamar Chase. Justin Odell's Jefferson. sitting out there. Odell's sitting out there yeah. in free agency. I'm wondering if anyone's going to pick him up this year. No. No. You don't think that? Y'all don't no. think that's no. going to happen? I don't no, think he's not. fully uh, healed from that ACL injury. So. Yeah, and he kind of ruined his opportunity um, with the, uh, was it the Rams that tried to sign him and then he couldn't even get on the plane? He passed out on the plane or something? I haven't heard that. It was a weird story that happened yeah. a couple weeks ago. Either way, yeah, I don't see that happening. But um, this is purely just a headline to generate clicks. I'm, I'm with he you. He just wants I, to I'm be totally in the headlines, and that's pretty much T.O. That's his personality. He likes to be in the spotlight. Yeah, he's a character. Now sure. move on to basketball. All right, moving on to basketball. We're going to save Luca for the last one. Suns guard Devin Booker is out for at least four weeks. Um, Devin Booker, I'm not a big fan of Devin Booker. He he stands out to me as a pure scorer, and I don't think that wins in the NBA nowadays. You have to be a little bit more well-rounded, and he's more of a pure scorer. Um, still very young. He reminds me a little bit of Jason Tatum, both guys pure scorers and still learning how to lead. Oh, no, Jason Tatum's more of a two-way guy, though. He's been really good. He play, yeah, he plays solid defense, oh, yeah. but um, there's decision-making that you see on the court. Um, and more so court vision and being a floor general where he really needs to be and be a step up and be a leader on the court where he really lacks. And you see that a lot in Celtics game. He's been getting by on pure talent. It's time to take the mental game to another level. I would say the same about Devin Booker. Um, but that's a team um, I don't see doing anything. They need another piece. They need another piece, and I would say deal Aiton. Aiton, uh, he's, a, he's another one of those guys he's – 
a pure scorer that's playing center. Hmm. He's not. He, he's. Yeah. He's. I mean, he got. He has solid rebound numbers, but he's not the best rebounder. Yeah, Sounded no, like Mississippi disagreed with that a little bit. No, he didn't. No, oh, he was okay. agreeing. Yeah, he was agreeing. I, if, feel free to chime in if I'm wrong there, but it sounds like he was agreeing. But Aiton is pretty much like a wing, um, that's playing center. That's I mean that that's pretty 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 much been the story on Aiton. That's where they've been really lackluster so far here with the Phoenix Suns is the fact that Aiton just hasn't really played more like a center, especially in the paint. Um, that's a team that needs another piece. Devin Booker out for four weeks. It feels like we see stars do this all the time. They get an injury, they're out for four weeks, come back. I mean, it's it's we've been we've become so accustomed to it now in the NBA. I I, I mean, I think that's pretty much the verdict there. What's the next one? All right, final headlight uh, headline uh, on our list: Luka Doncic saved the best for last. Right, scored sixty points, twenty-one rebounds, and ten assists in a comeback overtime win over the Knicks. The big story of Luka is once again needs a piece. Um, they've tried, and really, he needs a forward. He does, he does. Needs a four. They tried it with Porzingis. Uh, they, that didn't work out too much. It seems like they're invested in Norman Powell for some reason. Obviously, that's not working out. Um, Brunson left, went to the Knicks, doing very well for the Knicks, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, he needs to get paired with a forward because the one thing about Luka, I think he's the next face of the league along with Giannis and guys like Jason Tatum, among many others. Um, but he lacks in defense. It's not for a lack of trying, but he lacks in defense. He comes from that Euro ball style of play where they don't play a lot of defense. Um, this is a guy that could really lead the future of the NBA. He needs a piece. He needs the pieces around him, and that's really been the huge failure, or really a huge missed opportunity for the Mavericks here in the past couple of years is the fact they haven't really been able to surround Luka with pieces that are primed for a deep playoff run or for a championship. But nonetheless... Historic moment there. Of course, I Big saw Luka something. Fan, by the way, this was the first time in NBA history that someone had a sixty twenty one ten triple double. Well, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's kind of one of those technicality things. Like, it, I'm sure there's one where there's the first time a guy's had a ten point, twelve point, and fourteen. Yeah, I know. I'm yeah. with you, but give give him his due. Come on, I'm, that, I'm that, saying that, it's a great crazy. performance. That stat's so meaningless, though. Okay, it's such a meaningless stat. I'm that, giving him his due. It's not even a knock crazy. on you. It's not even a knock on you. People are making it out to be a big stat, but it's like a, such a technicality type stat, you know? Lamar, the only quarterback to throw four touchdowns in the second week of November. Exactly. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. yeah, it's one of those type of deals. <laughs> End of the day, those are the headlines of the day. Um, the Raiders one really stands out to me. Um, that, that's really been the big one for me so far. I, I'm interested to see what the Raiders do moving forward. Yeah, very it seems like. They just came off a playoff run. All they needed was just to kind of build off of that. Yeah, I mean, you got the arguably the best wide receiver in the league, and you can't even make the playoffs. Like, but I think it's more of a coaching thing too, because Josh McDaniels, his play calling has been very I questionable. I agree. So, we've tried it. We've been there, done that before. I don't yeah, know why you do it again. Exactly. All right, coming up, we're getting you set for ECU basketball, leading you into network coverage at six thirty. As the Pirates open American Conference play against Temple in Menji's Coliseum, the voice of the Pirates, Jeff Charles and Michael Perry, on the call right here on 94 through the game, beginning at 6.30. We'll lead you into network coverage here on Pirate Game Day Countdown on the Patrick Johnson Show. Tweet at us. 
You want to see our tweets? That's creeping me out. Follow us on Twitter for breaking sports news and what's going on around the Pirate Nation. We need you guys on Twitter. Twitter. It's 943 The Game on Twitter. Welcome back to the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben B. Baby Byron filling in for the P-Man with a special hour-and-a-half edition of Patrick Johnson Show plus Pirate Game Day Countdown. Chris Cook on the ones and twos. Um, been a lot of fun so far as we're leading you into network coverage at 6.30 between the ECU Pirates and Temple as they open American Conference play in Menji's Coliseum on the hardwood. Very excited. Pirates. Surprisingly, finished non-conference play nine and four. Shocked a lot of people. Um, finishing non-conference play with that record, um, and had some very solid wins. I think back to that Toledo win. Toledo, a very high-scoring offense. I wouldn't slouch on High Point either. High Point, a very dynamic offense. But getting a little bit more into Temple. Temple is the most, how do I put it, wishy-washy team I've seen in American Conference play so far. I've been following a lot of the teams closely. An AAC play this year. Temple is an anomaly. I can't explain it whatsoever. Um, and it's not even like they've been banged up with injuries necessarily. Just very inconsistent. Um, and maybe it's a matter of them being young. I would have to look deeper into that roster here in a little bit. But I look at their um, look at their schedule here. They've had a somewhat tough non-conference schedule playing opponents like Villanova. Um, Vanderbilt out of the SEC, not to say Vanderbilt's great, but nonetheless an SEC opponent. Rutgers, um, teams like St. John's out of the Big East. Richmond always on the uh, outskirts of the NCAA tournament year after year. Uh, a couple other notable teams like Miss Old Miss. Um, so they've had a uh, very interesting uh, non-con schedule here so far. The problem is, though, they open the season with a, D2, a loss to a D2 opponent in Wagner. Bounce back and win against 16th-ranked Villanova, then lose to Vanderbilt, then bounce back and beat Rutgers, lose to St. John's, lose to Richmond, then they go on a four-game winning streak, and now they're coming off a three-game losing streak. I don't even know how you necessarily describe this team. Um, You know, Aaron McKee, former NBA pro, um, from all accounts from people up in uh, that are know the guy or know about his coaching in general, Say he's a good head coach. I look at this, and I think the coaching is somewhat to blame for this. A matter of consistency directly, uh, especially in basketball, directly reflects your uh, the coaching, I would think. Yeah. Especially when you have young players like Damian Dunn and Cleve Battle, both sophomore uh, guards here, lengthy sophomore guards, and more on them in a bit, um, who are really going to be our workhorses for this team um, and the leaders of your team. Um, the coaching has to be on point. Um, and that's really been my big knock on Temple this year. Um, and it's just been a, really um, a head-scratcher to look at their non-conference play and their non-conference record so far and see some of the losses they took and then bounce back with some pretty huge wins. Nonetheless, taking a deeper dive into Temple, looking at the all-time series, ECU has not fared too well against Temple in the all-time series. 13 meetings, Temple has the advantage with nine wins. Um ECU only getting four wins in the series so far. Uh, very interesting, to say the very least there. Last time ECU played Temple was in Menji's Coliseum um, last year. 
Um, and that was a very, very uh, game that got off the rails very quickly. I believe the Pirates are sitting pretty comfortably going into late in that ball game, and then Damian Dunn just took the ball game over. Uh, he ended up finishing that day with 26 points as he kind of finished or visited his hometown area, um, kind of a reunion, a homecoming for him as he's a Kinston native. Damian Dunn has really been the key to this Temple team this year. I found an interesting stat when it comes to Temple and Damian Dunn. Um, when you look at the losses that Temple has taken this year, they've had a loss to Penn, 77-57. to 57. Damian Dunn scores eight points. Uh, that loss to Old Miss, 63-53, to 53, he has 16. Um, you look at the loss against Wagner to open the season, he scored 29. Maryland Eastern Shore scored 10. Vanderbilt, 38. St. John's, 11. Excuse me. Sorry. No, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, you're good. Richmond, one point. Um, I look at it this way. Four out of seven of the losses that Temple has scored this year, Dunn scored lower than what he averages. So when Dunn scores lower than what he averages in those losses, um, he scored lower than what he averages for those seven losses they took this year. So the key to this game tonight is obviously to try to limit him and contain him as much as possible. And Pirate defense so far has done a good job of doing that so far. Um, you look at uh, what they did against High Point, against House. House still led a good day on the stat sheet, but kind of limit his dynamic scoring ability a bit as one of the premier scoring scores in the country coming into that game. Limited him a bit. Same with Sessoms out of Coppin State. It was a very dynamic scorer coming in. Limited him. Did the same against Toledo. So they do a really good job of kind of limiting and, uh, their key players. And it doesn't necessarily respect, uh, reflect on the stat sheet. Um, they might have pretty good scoring numbers. But they do a lot of things on defense that forces their star players to dish it out to other players and forces other players to take opportunities and take shots. And that's what I've really liked about Mike Schwartz's defense this year. They might not necessarily limit you in the scoring category when it comes to your best player and your best score, but they will force that best player to dish it out to other players and for other players where there's a lot of uncertainty around them to uh, take tough shots or to take shots. I'd rather, um, I'd rather take a wide-open three from a guy you don't expect to take one than take a wide-open three from a Damian Dunn. Okay, so I'm going to pose a question. Okay. You seem very well-versed in ECU basketball and college basketball in general. Uh, we've obviously seen uh, a lot of rotating starting lineups uh, this season for ECU. Yep. What do you think, given uh, the games that have already passed, who do you think should be the starting lineup tonight? Who should do you, be the brain? Do you, do you got a guy that you think like hasn't played a lot that needs to make it in? Because I'm saying Ezra Ozar. Well, Ezra, I think, will start for sure. I'm thinking okay. the lineup's going to be looking like R.J. Felt and Javon Oh, he's Small. great. Yep. Ezra Ozar, Brandon Johnson, and then I'm missing somebody here. Because I feel like there's always the one guy that they rotate. Schwartz even says this a lot in the press conferences, that they want to try out different guys. You know, they're still figuring some stuff out with the growing pains. So but what I'm essentially asking is who you think should be that last guy, like that solidified like last guy. Uh, you know, the thing is. is Luigi, that, um, maybe? No, no, I don't think it should be Luigi. There's just been a lot of different guys that have come off the bench and had – um, some solid games or some big games. Caleb LeCount, another guy. We don't see them really in the uh, – then we won't see them like, at all for the next game. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe a Caleb LeCount. 
See, um, I'm always root for Caleb LeCount because I'm short myself. Another one that's been kind of interesting is Winston Tabs hasn't played a lot here recently. Is he going to play tonight? I'm not sure. We don't know. I'm we don't know. Okay. I'm not a reporter. I don't have the inside. We'll, we'll find out in the press conference tonight. Well, we haven't had a press conference, a pre-game press conference. Since, I'm in in the post-game. Come on. Since two games ago. So, I, I mean, I don't really know much about the status um, injury-wise of Winston Tabs. But we do know him playing the last game wasn't due to injury. It was just a matter of him finding his footing and getting acclimated. Um, When it comes to your question about who should be that next guy who kind of fills out the lineup, um, that's kind of really been the big question this year so far. Um, it seems like Mike Schwartz is high on Biella, but he's still getting acclimated to play in D1 basketball. Caleb LeCount is coming off the bench and had some really big moments and has really provided a spark off the bench. Jaden Walker at times has been a starter, um, a very lengthy um, guard at 6'5", can play at the forward position a little bit, and has had a, a solid outing as a starter. Quentin DeBougier, who they were really um, high on coming into this season, um, has had some growing pains here recently, but has handled it very well. Uh, it's just a matter of this team's development. we got to keep in mind this is a team that's still developing as the season has progressed. Of course. Mm-hmm. So a lot that, of new faces. So it wouldn't surprise me if that season, even as we get into conference play, um, you know, I'm under the impression he's kind of got that starting lineup set, but it wouldn't surprise me if we still try some things out, still try to figure it out um, as, conference, as we get into the conference play. A little bit of trial and error, just seeing – how things stick, and really just kind of progress along the development of a lot of these players and seeing what you got. Because when you look at this team, especially coming into the season, there was a lot of unknowns, a lot of turnover. I mean, even R.J. Felton and Javon Small, they were returners, but they didn't get a lot of playing time where they were here. Yeah, right. I think they've both done extremely well this year. The, the, the big story on this team right now is just a matter of development and seeing what you got, and can you sustain it with certain guys who have played well. Well, hey, they've had a lot of games to get ready for conference play, so let's see how all that like transpires. And I'm pleased at how non-conference play wrapped up. Me too, yeah. Nine and four, I would have never have guessed that. Me either, yeah. And I thought, I definitely don't think the Pirates are going to finish last in the conference, even with the coaching turnover and a lot of turnover. I feel like that was a little disrespectful just because there's USF still in the conference. I'm sorry. And uh, Gregory is still head coach, Brian Gregory. I mean, don't be sorry if it's the truth. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, the let's truth. Real, I'm yeah. sorry. It's just the truth. But nonetheless, uh, Pirates doing pretty well, fared well against in non-conference play, had some big wins um, against some teams that we don't normally win against. Like, I'm sorry, a couple years ago, we, even though South Carolina's not the strongest team coming out of the SEC, that's not a, team, that's not a game we win in non-conference play a couple years ago, even if we were supposed to win it. We get way too in our heads over games like that. Um, Toledo was a big win. Toledo is a very underrated win in non-conference play. That was one of the highest scoring offenses in the country. And uh, coming into that game, limited them heavily. And to be able to win that game in a neutral site was huge, especially for the development of this team. Um, and then I look at games like High Point, which I think was another overlooked win. Another high-scoring team with a very dynamic scorer in Jaden House. Um, very um, able to limit him was uh, especially huge. And I think the big story as well coming into non-conference play or coming out of the non-conference play is the fact that you see the players buying into Mike Schwartz's on-court philosophy of defense first and it will lead to offense. And you can truly see them playing great defense here down the stretch and it's leading to wins and it's leading to offense. And uh, that's the style of play that Mike Schwartz 
wants to implement the first couple of years here. And uh, it's hard for guys to buy into that because, you know, a lot of guys want to score. At the end of the day, you want to score, right? Yep, of course. At the end of the day, you want to get your numbers up. You want to score. Um, but the guys have truly been humble and bought in. And I think that's a product of a good coach in there. And I'm really stoked for the Mike Schwartz era of ECU basketball here so far. Me too. He's a great guy. He's really nice. Uh, he always says great question when I ask him in the press conferences. That does like, make me feel good. Oh, it makes yeah. me feel so good. Yeah, yeah, he's such a nice guy. I want to see him do well. I really do. Well, no, that's because we really ask good questions. We're not hey, asking yeah. about what he ate that morning or it's just something that's completely irrelevant. You'll be surprised, folks. Oh, no, you would be really surprised. You'll be surprised. We don't include it in pirate reports, but there's some truly boneheaded questions that get asked of those things that a lesser man would not have the patience for. Of course. Of course. So, yeah, he's a class act. Didn't know it was leading to that point or we're going to get into that. But nonetheless, hey, it's nice to mention. ECU has not beaten Temple since 2020. Back on February 23rd, when they defeated um, the Temple Owls in Menji's Coliseum, 67 to 63. Temple coming into this series is on a two-game winning streak against the Pirates. So the Pirates looking to get back in the win column against the Owls. Damian Dunn's status for tonight's game is uncertain. That's why I brought up his averages when he averages or when he scores lower than his average and the losses this year. It's really been the key to the game for the Owls. Um, Four out of seven of their losses, Dunn has scored lower than what he averages right now, which is around 14, I believe, somewhere around there. I'll get that up here in a minute. But nonetheless, point is taken. Dunn's status is uncertain for tonight's game. After leaving and not returning, after taking a hard fall against Maryland Eastern Shore, um, so we'll keep an eye out on that. We'll keep you updated on our social media at 9-4 through the game on Twitter and Facebook. That would definitely be huge for tonight as um, – Anytime the Kinson native comes to town, he does have a good following and good turnout that shows up in Midgey's Coliseum. Coming up, we'll kind of break down ECU basketball a little bit more, get you ready for network coverage between the Pirates and the Owls on the hardwood. That all comes your way on the other side of this quick timeout here on the Pirate Game Day Countdown edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Every weekday afternoon at 5, it's the Patrick Johnson Show. What you got in there, good day? Join the P-Man Monday through Friday as you wrap up your day for the latest from the Pirate Nation and beyond. All right, Dan. Here on 94.3 The Game and 94.3thegame.com. The Pirates and the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. You need to make better choices. The flagship station of the ECU Pirates and Eastern North Carolina's home for sports. Let's play football! 94.3 The Game. Welcome back to the Patch Johnson Show. Ben B. Baby Barn filling in for the P-Man as we lead you into network coverage between the ECU basketball and Temple on the hardwood in Menji's Coliseum. The voice of the Pirates, Jeff Charles and Coach Michael Perry on the other side here in just a few short minutes. Also, Patrick Johnson on the uh, ESPN Plus call on TV beginning at 7 o'clock with Sa Seymour. We encourage you to listen to the radio broadcast, but if you can't, that's always a very solid option. Also, Chris Cooks on the ones and twos. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. that was great. That was great. We had to break the ice there a little bit. Um, you know, just getting some final thoughts in here. Um, I, this was another thing I found interesting. EC fans cracked me up. They're, they're some of the most passionate, sometimes the most delusional. Um, but nonetheless, you got to love them, though, right? You, you got to love them. They're endearing. I'll put it that of way. Of course, yeah. They're very I would say endearing. So. 
Um, when we put, put that, that quote up of T-Cop saying that Holton's probably a top three quarterback in Pirate history, I saw this guy just start listing off Pirate quarterbacks, and he had some huge stretches in there. Um, I saw people throwing around guys like, uh, for example, and this is not to take anything away from those guys, but I think Holton is top I mean, he's five a hometown like, hero, yeah. Yeah, Holton I think is top five and deserves his flowers, but throwing guys like James Summers around, and this is not a knock on these guys. Um, Rob Cass was mentioned. Um, just a lot of weird, odd choices. Dan Gonzalez, who was, I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to knock these guys, but nonetheless, Holton's on another level compared to those guys. Let's not be disrespectful there. I just thought that was kind of funny and interesting. A case of revisionist history here with a lot of Pirate fans. Nostalgic for the past. Very nostalgic for the past, even it's for subpar years. What are we, who are we going to bring up next? Thomas Sirk? Does Thomas Sirk need to be in the same conversation? Hey, they remember, they remember when they were really good, and I don't think they're quite ready to admit that we're out of the state, the Scotty Moe stages. You know what I mean? They yeah. want to look too back on the past. We're in a good spot. Some people crave negativity. They do. Some no, they 100% do. Yeah. Some people feed off. By the way, do you remember the Peach Bowl? I was not alive just, at the time. Just don't but think I, 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 but I was think somehow I there. Up today. Hey, I wasn't alive at the time, but I was somehow there. Hey, if it wasn't brought up to you today, uh, <laughs> then yeah, just had to make sure I your get that daily in. reminder. Yeah. By the way, I was there. Did you know that? <laughs> I was there. I, despite being 21 years old, I was there in back in '92, January 1st, 1992, on New Year's. Uh, a couple quick notes here when we're looking at Temple. Khalif Battle, one of the leading scorers in the American, coming in. Um, a lot has been made about Damian Dunn when it comes to this Temple group, but Khalif Battle, a very solid guard for the Temple Owls so far this year. 6'5 guard, very lengthy. Um, coming off a foot injury last year, that kind of shortened his season. Uh, nonetheless, has really kind of carried the torch for this Owls squad and looking to lead them into non-conference play and make a little bit of noise despite a very uh, streaky non-conference uh, schedule, non-conference resume going on as we speak for um, – the Temple Owls. We'll keep you updated on our social media with a look at our starting lineup for a little bit later on tonight and the status of Damian Dunn as he took a hard fall against Maryland Eastern Shore uh, that leads him uncertain for tonight's game. Um, was unable to finish that game against Maryland Eastern Shore, so we will definitely keep an eye on that as the Kinston native, we would hope, is in primed or in store for a big homecoming. Um, a lot of people from Kinston, he knows, always shows up for those home games in Menji's Coliseum. And he had an all-timer game last time out. I remember that. I was there, and that was that was an all-time performance by Damian Dunn. Looking at Khalif Battle, averaging 18.7 points, 3.7 rebounds, and almost two assists. Um, really going to be the uh, primary um, kind of the leader of this team coming in, the guy you really need to worry about. Damian Dunn is more so... Um, a com- I don't want to say complimentary piece. I say he's the more talented piece. He's the very he's the more dynamic scorer. He's a guy that can come out and score thirty, and then the next game score fourteen. Um, he's just he's just got that scoring playmaking ability, and uh, really the game I think and the key to the game depends on if he plays in tonight's game. Another guy that's been overlooked here for the Temple Owls is Jamil Reynolds, a six nine forward out of Saint Peter Big's Cedar. St. Petersburg's Florida uh, for Temple, averaging 11, 6.3 um, rebounds as well. So a very uh, well-rounded forward there that can rebound but also score. And then Zach Hicks, a sophomore forward, 
six seven out of Camden, New Jersey, averaging nine point two points and getting four point seven rebounds. They have some solid forwards coming off the bench, solid guard and Heizier Miller, um, six one guard who's averaging eight and three point four rebounds. So they have some solid depth on this team that may pose some problems for the Pirates tonight. A big um, takeaway from this Temple team, looking at them, is they had a lot of returning from last year's roster, or a lot of returners from last year's roster sticking around and coming again this year. 67.9% of their scoring returned from last year's roster to this year's. So um, they haven't had a lot of turnover in the offseason. They had a lot of key guys come back, and um, that should fare well in conference play and a conference in the American that has had a lot of turnover with a lot of their teams. Um, so it should be interesting to see how that plays out here tonight. Taking a look at the Pirates, obviously the big story um, so far has been the two key guys in the Pirates, um, and R.J. Felton and, of course, Javon Small, guys that were relatively unknowns coming into the season just because they didn't have a lot of play, playing time under the Joe Dooley uh, tenure and era of ECU basketball, but have come out and really looked like the marquee guys for the Pirates here early in the season and have fared very well and been really good leaders for this program. But the guy that's really intrigued me so far is Ezra Azar, the forward, the freshman forward. Um, he's looked very dynamic, can rebound, very athletic, can uh, can dunk the lights out. Um, just a very good forward here so far. And I think the key to the Pirates moving forward is being able to keep that guy because I think he has the ability, like a Tristan Newton and Jaden Gardner, or we might be lucky to have a guy like that. I mean, he's just that talented. For sure. It's a matter of him putting it all together and uh, being consistent and that reflecting a little bit more in his numbers. And um, Mike Schwartz has made it known he wants to give him more playing time. Oh, he loves him. He has had nothing but good things to say about it's him. It's just a matter of him getting acclimated to playing the D1 game and uh, developing his on-court basketball IQ. Like last game he brought up, he wanted to bring up or give Ezra Zaro minutes, but he got into foul trouble very early. So that's part of the learning and growing and developmental process for Ezra Azar is being mindful of those type of things, not getting into foul trouble early because um, we're going to need you down the stretch because you've really emerged as a really good forward. And another guy that's uh, been very key for the Pirates is Brandon Johnson. Um, he's a forward that uh, can stretch the floor really for the Pirates, and I think that's huge in today's game. It can really add a whole other dimension to an offense, especially in college basketball. In basketball excuse me. And uh, when that's not rolling, the Pirates don't tend to uh, be rolling. So um, Brandon Johnson's been very interesting, been one of the better uh, forwards so far for the Pirates, and has looked really, really good. Um, you know, I, I look at the Pirates' season moving forward, and uh, the big question is what are the expectations moving forward? What should uh, What should we expect moving forward when it comes to these Pirates? What are we playing for? I think the outlook you have to have for the season, I'm not necessarily saying write them out or pat them on the back because I think that's been kind of a toxic um, outlook by a lot of Pirate fans when it comes to the Pirate basketball, uh, when it comes to the Pirate basketball program. We'll pat them on the back when they do well, but, you know, we're not really going to buy into it. Hey, but I will say the Minji's this year has been consistently, uh, I'm not going to say totally filled out, but there's a lot of fans there and they get hyped. 
I, I don't want to say a lot of fans. I would say it's been decent turnouts compared to what we're used to. Okay, that, that's essentially what I'm trying and to the, say. And yeah. the people that do show out, they do get into it. The they game. get into it. Yeah. I, I love to see that. The student section has really showed out this year. That's been very impressive. And Mike Schwartz uh, coming into this season has really made that a point of emphasis, um, especially when they did that uh, kind of preseason little shootout um, type deal. The little oh, yeah, he wants the fans deal. there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I I mean, Minjus has all the potential – Minji says all the potential to be a very fun college basketball venue. It's a very compact, unique kind of, how do you put it, a very uh, intimate environment. Of course, uh-huh. very intimate. It's got a, it's got a chance to be that way, with, especially with the way our fans are. When they get passionate about certain programs here for ECU, oh, it's a whole nother level. Oh, of course, uh-huh. that has a whole nother dynamic and dimension to the game. So it's got a potential to be there, and I think Mike Schwartz is truly building something, and. Um, under his first year, he's done really good with the turnout in terms of just getting fans invested and giving the fans something to be invested for or giving the fans a reason to care, giving them games that have been fun uh, to watch and just really get into it. Yeah, a I team mean, that people can buy into. They're producing the on the court. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, looking at the parts here and just looking at, looking at their depth, uh, I think this has been another very interesting thing that our Mike Schwartz here. Um, we mentioned earlier a lot of different guys getting a lot of different minutes. The lineup has been changing a lot. A lot of different guys coming off the bench and having big games, and then we might not see them two games later. Um, looking at the Pirates roster here and the scoring, it's very spread out, very, very spread out. And a lot of guys that have been very uh, versatile when it comes to rebounding, um, their assist numbers, shooting, whatnot. I mean, everybody's been kind of balanced, and I've kind of, I've liked to kind of see that here so far. Um, even guys like Quentin DeBougier, who haven't really gotten a lot of playing time this last two or three games here, um, still averaging 6.3, um, 1.2 rebounds, and .8 assists. That is not bad numbers for a guy that comes out of the bench and has kind of been a spot starter. I like what he's building here, and I think the defensive philosophy has fared very well for the Pirates so far. It is one of some big games in non-conference play we normally wouldn't win. Yeah, right. And I think they got a strong bench. It seems like there's no like downgrade in play when guys come off the bench, and that's huge. Yeah, yeah, especially. Um, I think we're accustomed to the lineup changing depending on your opponent. And obviously that's basketball, right? That's college basketball. Um, the scheme and the lineup changes depending on your opponent. But we saw that. Uh, we're seeing that a little bit more so under Mike Schwartz. Um, we're seeing the scheme, especially the defensive schemes, change. Sometimes we'll go to a switch defense. Sometimes we'll go to a zone defense. Sometimes we'll play a little bit more press. Uh, it's constantly changing. The players are constantly adapting and learning and developing. And just go back. It goes back to what I said earlier. It's all just a developmental process. And I think that's how you should view this season as a huge developmental um, process that gets you excited for what's going to happen moving forward. Yeah, and see, I'm agreeing with you, but even with that being said, 9-4 and four before uh, yeah, non-conference yeah. play. Like, I'm I mean, not right now the season, obviously, but yeah. That, but it, just... It's encouraging that even in a rebuild year like this, new coach, a lot of new faces, they're still really producing on the court. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, just seeing guys that um, a lot of part fans or a lot of just basketball fans in general would write off Really uh, emerging as marquee guys like Javon Small, R.J. Felton, Brandon Johnson at times. You know, we normally wouldn't see things like that. It's good to see these guys stepping up. It is good to see that. Taking virtually unknowns and making them relatively unknowns and making them big-time deals and the key players so far here. 
really just working with what he's got. Yeah, and it seems corny and cheesy to say, but they they've all got really good attitudes. Yeah, just listening to them, and I mean, no, that's crucial. Yeah, that's I crucial. think that's really crucial. Yeah, it sounds cheesy and corny, but it's the truth. Uh, a team, I, I I'll, I'll I'll make a comparison. You're making an example here. A team, a lot of the college basketball like writers and media pundits, or just quite frankly nerds, were really buying into. Oh, was Eastern Michigan coming into this year? They have Imani Bates, who obviously was a highly touted player out of Memphis. We beat, by the way, that was nice. Uh, and then Noah Farrakhan, who was a really huge prospect coming out of high school that ECU had for a little bit, wasn't happy with his playing time, transferred out. Um, and that was a team a lot of college basketball media pundits are very high on, and uh, they've had a lot of off the court issues so far. Um, the attitude hasn't been great in the locker room. They've had an abysmal season so far for a team a lot of people thought would be prime for a tournament run. Yeah, and look at the Pirates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, look at the Pirates. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, that's going to do it for us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Appreciate you uh, stepping in or listening in. Excuse me. Special thanks to Chris Cook and Mississippi providing production assistance. We'll be back at it tomorrow live at 6 o'clock. Patrick Johnson will be able to call for the women's game tomorrow, so we'll be filling in. Feel free. Stay tuned for network coverage. ECU Temple on the court right here at 630 in a matter of minutes. The voice of the Pirates, Jeff Charles and Coach Michael Perry, always do a great job. They'll get you set for all the action on the hardwood at Minji's Coliseum. Will it be the homecoming game for Kinson native Damian Dunn? Will he play tonight? All that and more is in store right here on the flagship station, the ECU Pirates on the other side on 94.3 The Game.